Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I am your host, Bill Sickens. My co-hosts are here with me, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome to this week's show. Hello. Hello. So before we get started, as I do quite often, I want to encourage anybody that is able to give a hand and stand with our friends in Ukraine. Check out President Zelensky's United 24 campaign. You can contribute to a number of different things. It doesn't even have to be war stuff. Ambulances, health services, all of that type of thing definitely needs a bit of worldwide support. You can get to that website at userfriendlyshow.com. It's at the bottom of ours, a link to get you in there. All right, we've got a great show coming up for you this week. We are going to be talking about a number of different things. One of them is going to be our Tech Wednesday and tech layoffs. This has been something that there's a lot of concern because we're hearing a lot of very large numbers out there Hmm. of people that are being fired, let go, laid off, all of that kind of stuff. And that's definitely something to be concerned about, especially if you're looking for a job right now. So we're going to go into that, see what's actually happening and what you need to expect. The other thing we're going to start talking about is a little bit more retro tech and the origin of video discs and VCRs and all that kind of stuff. We've had a lot of questions come in. I think this has been generated by the coverage that we've done on some of the weird tech the last couple of weeks. (laughs) And, you know, interesting topic. I'm not going to spoil it now. We'll go into it in some detail a little bit later in the show here. But it's something kind of fun and doing a little research on it. I even learned some stuff. And I'm of the era that I had a VCR. So, you know, I know what it is. But um, kind of uh, kind of cool to check out. All right, Gretchen, what do we have in the news this week? Apparently, Google Fi was hacked. Yeah, sort of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that does sound a little more ominous than what actually happened. It uh, was a situation where a third-party vendor had information that was accessed by an outside party that contained SIM card numbers and phone numbers, not a lot of information beyond that. The question becomes now if this is going to be an issue, there is a very slight chance we might have to swap out everybody's SIM cards. I don't know if that's how bad it's going to be or if that's even a concern or they might have some other way to handle it. So Google's internal system was not hacked, but it was a third party and some of this information was provided. Right now, there's not a whole lot you can do about it other than let's just see what they come up with. Music teacher becomes first in Oregon to use high-tech exoskeleton to walk again. This is this is kind of cool. So we've talked about exoskeletons. These are a thing that you wear that enhances what you can do. And there's different aspects of this. And one of the areas that this is definitely good for is medical and quality of life type issues. And this gentleman, he's in Bend, Oregon. Back in 2009, became partially paralyzed uh, with a snowboarding accident in California. And ever since then, he hasn't been able to walk. He's a music teacher. He's done a lot with his life. But, you know, this has been one of the things until this week. And he got this suit. It is one that he is able to stand up. It's made by a, a company called Rewalk Robotics. And it is, for the first time, allowing him to have that as a component of what he's able to do again. So it's an area where this type of technology is really cool. It really does help people and that type of a thing. He says that he has to re- learn how to how to walk. There's a lack of communication with his brain, especially when he, his legs get moving because it's been so long. He says, but the more I walk, the calmer they get. Great. So <laughs> right now, Rewalk's saying this technology is about $80,000, so it's not cheap. 
that they're working on ways to not only get the price down, but also see if they can get insurance to cover it in certain situations and stuff like that. And, you know, exoskeletons are really kind of a cool thing. I like this type of robotics. There's a lot of different markets for it, other areas like industrial for if you have to pick things up. So, you know, shippers at UPS or the stalkers at Amazon or something would all benefit from this. And then there's also certainly military aspects of this type of technology that also would be really cool. You know, a cue sci-fi movie music here, right? <laughs> I, th- I think Esther's really excited about this. I'm not yeah, sure why. She keeps meowing about it. Yeah, yeah, she's like totally into that. <laughs> hey, a new tracker promises to collect a lot more of your data. Its maker says that that's better for your privacy. <laughs> Um, okay, is, is that like military intelligence? Uh, anyways, <laughs> yeah, oxymoron deluxe here. Oh man, it sounds like a conflict of terms. So what this is referring to is the ability to track what you do online. Google's planning to kill third-party cookies. This is something we've talked about. This is what one of the main tools that's used, so that if you look something up and then the next ten websites you go to have the same ad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh-huh. using that way, and this has been locked off. The um, Apple cut this out a while ago where by default you're opted out of these type of things and it has caused a number of problems with advertising through companies like Meta's Facebook and others where it just doesn't work the way that it used to but however and don't worry about it because there's going to be another way they can track your data and this time it does what's called a data fingerprint and this is a company uh, called Full Throttle And what this does is you put their tool on your website and it collects uh, 14 data points about you. This includes things like what browser you're using, what device you're on, your location, a thing called ET or ETAG information, uh, which is data about your browser's cache, and on and on. And this can be used very much to identify you. Now, the thing of it is, is you're supposed to opt into this. At least that's the way that they're doing it. However, it's up to the companies that use it to determine how that works. And there's no real regulation on it, at least on this time. So Mm. it's going to be interesting to see if they're handling consent the right way. Um, But it it does seem like what we've seen so far, most companies aren't. Surprise, surprise. Good. Netflix reveals details about crackdown on password sharing. Yeah, so they've rolled this out in some other countries. They updated their FAQ this week in the United States, and we're expecting to start seeing this at the end of the quarter, where a lot of people, ourselves included, have shared for many years Netflix passwords. And what they're doing is they want to force more people to pay for it, so they're trying to block that out. So what it would be like is if I'm the um, dedicated primary location of the Netflix account, you would say that, and then anybody that accesses the system on my login outside of my home would have to get a temporary code generated by the system here that I would give to that person, and that's only good for seven days, and then this repeats every seven days. Now, um, yeah. so so the traveling net uh, Netflix person is going to really hate this. Well, or there's other things too. Whether you have more than one home, or yeah, what if what like I. Um, travel too, but I use Netflix at work and at home. Do I now have to have an account for work that's separate? And that wouldn't even make sense because the separate account wouldn't have my viewing history. Yeah. So I, you know, it's like, you know, oh, that seems absolutely ridiculous. I'm already working on a way to try to defeat this. So, oh, I didn't say that on air. Uh, but anyway, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we uh, do reviews on their stuff. And if something happens where it just doesn't work anymore, 
well, no more reviews. Sorry. Yeah, that's not what it comes down to. I just I don't use it as much as I used to either. I'm finding that uh, you know I like some of the new stuff. But my big thing with Netflix for a very long time is I love Star Trek. I used to watch that, have it on while I'm working, and they've gotten rid of Next Generation. I think the others too now. Yeah, the other stuff I have not seen at all. And of so course, they got rid of the Clone Wars, and it was put on Disney Plus. Yeah. So that makes me like that Disney Plus. Decision, but. Uh, yeah. No, but right now what we're looking at um, with ad-supported tiers, because that's the other thing Netflix is doing, Netflix for the ad-supported tier is going to be charging $6.99 a month. Disney Plus is $7.99 a month. Hulu is $7.99 a month. That does not include your regular channels, by the way. If you have the Hulu with all of the what would have been cable channels, that's going on like $90 a month now. Uh, no, like $120 or something. $120, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. high. I know it got expensive, so... Anyway, so we'll see how this works out. I might not be a Netflix user for much longer. We'll see. The Extinction Company will try to bring back the Dodo. That's a bird, just in case anybody needs to know. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I was waiting for the Jurassic Park mu- music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you never know. We could, could include it. Like. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is going to be interesting to see what happens. They're talking about doing this for biodiversity among birds <laughs> and they've got 150 million in funding to support its de-extinction activities what could possibly go wrong here well as long as they don't like do velociraptors and t-rexes i think we'll probably be okay well and the dodo wasn't that long ago it also it wasn't was, that dangerous no it was what about a hundred or so or 150 years ago it went extinct yeah about yeah, they're, they're actually looking at three different animals. The dodo is one of them. The woolly mammoth is another. And the Tasmanian tiger is another. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Could be. You know I, stuff like this, I, from one standpoint, because we're in this mass extinction thing right now. So if this worked and was safe, it, it actually is kind of cool from that standpoint, because maybe it would be possible to bring back some of the other Look species at, that have gone extinct. We've got rhinoceroses that are in danger. Yeah, true. and all, all kinds of things. But on the flip side, I don't know, sometimes these things have a way of having some unexpected uh, outcomes, you know, and that type of a thing. All right, well, we got a great show for you this week. Don't go away. We will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. We do a lot of our programming based on what you as our audience requests. And the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about some unusual technology and different things like that. And we've had a number of questions over the last couple of weeks that's kind of spun out of that about the old format wars. And what this is referring to is the development of technology as it's moved into our modern day video. And Questions regarding all of that. Now, you know, this is definitely something that's generational. Uh, Millennials and anybody born after that probably wouldn't even remember a lot of this with uh, VHS and Betamax on videotapes, laser discs, and these type of things. And in today's world, the way that we consume video and that type of a thing is very, very different than what was done back in the 1970s and 1980s and even the 1960s, where a lot of this stuff originates. So the first set of questions, and what I'm going to start with on this, is talking about the difference between something called a video disc 
and a videotape. <laughs> and uh, this is something that, yeah, uh, <laughs> started out. You know, when you started this, I thought you were going to talk about the different storage formats for computers. Okay. Because <laughs> that's a yeah, big you know, That's a whole too. other thing that uh, that kind of spins out of this. So we might actually pick up later. But, um, but no, you know. Back when all of this started and these type of things and where a lot of questions have been coming from for all of this, we have to think about what the world was and how television worked at the time and and audio as well, because it is so different from the way that it works now. And and before VCRs and all of that, you had a situation where television was basically a non-interactive, you had really very little control over it medium. So in other words, if you wanted to watch something on television, if it was being broadcast, you would find the time in your TV guide magazine or whatever. And your involvement was really that you could turn on the television and you could change the channel. That was it. There was no mm-hmm. skipping commercials. There was no recording stuff, you know, and that you had to be thing. there on time to see the beginning of the program. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that so was your it. schedule and was around the TV show. And that is absolutely the case. And, and, the thing of it is, if you miss something, it may be broadcast in reruns at some point in the future, but there was no guarantee of that for one thing, and it was just uh, kind of hit or miss. So serial programs of the period, character development, all that kind of stuff, just like we had now, if you miss something, you really miss something. You asked your friends, maybe read a summary on it somewhere, maybe in the newspaper or no internet, right? So that was about it. and. In the day, it's interesting because there's two technologies that originally came out for home video. The video disc and then later laser disc. Those are two different formats. And then the VCR. Now, interestingly, you wouldn't think about this, but the video disc was actually in development before the VCR. So it didn't come first, but it was put together first. And these were two devices that were actually set up and marketed and everything else to do two entirely different things. And it's one of the reasons why the video disc, laser disc systems never really caught on. And when you think about it at the time, there was no home market for video. So the idea of what we have now where you can buy movies and do different things, that that didn't exist. And the video disc was actually introduced for the purpose of creating this type of an environment. So it was a whole new vertical market and one where you had to buy this piece of equipment that was fairly expensive in 1970s dollars. They ran about 600 bucks. That was you do expensive. The math on that. Oh, yeah. And then the discs for them with the movies on them ran $15 a piece. There was actually three tiers originally that was set up with this, 5, 10, and 15, depending on the length, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or a full-length movie. And then the other thing you had with a full-length movie is that you generally had to t- turn the disc over in the middle of it to be able to play the entire content. So, you know, this was what was set up for that. People <laughs> bought these... There was originally maybe about 120 options, which really isn't a lot for movies to even be able to play on it. And once you watch something, you watched it, and that was it. So then comes the VCR. Now, the VCR was not originally meant for the idea of home movies. That's not how they sold it. It was for something called time shifting. That's how it was marketed. Okay, so what's time shifting? (laughs) Gretchen, this is what you were talking about. You could record what was on television at 6.30 and then watch it at 8. That's time shifting. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, and these devices were expensive. The original VCRs were about $1,000 in 1970s dollars. And in a lot of places, you rented them. You didn't buy them because of the cost. And then on top of that, your videotape started at about 100 bucks for a blank tape with nothing on it. 
That's what this stuff costs. Now, the cost of the videotape, people didn't mind so much because you could reuse it. So you bought it and it was there and there wasn't this idea of saving recordings or any of that nature. You just used it and then you would record over what was on it, you know? So that's where all of this started. And the reality of the situation is because videotape was so expensive and because video discs were so cheap to make, that's why a lot of the studios and different things like that originally looked at using the video disc format because to be able to put a movie that was pre-recorded onto a tape, it was $100 for the tape and then plus the cost of licensing the movie and all the rest of it. And duplication technology at the time was very, very limited. So to make one copy literally took the time a little more than the running time of the video. <laughs> Hmm. You know, and you didn't have that with the video disc. You could stamp them out kind of like a record. They actually called them video records originally. So that created a situation where these two different devices were put out to market. And originally the video disc being the one for the movies. Now, as time passed hmm. and different things went by, and the cost of videotape came down and came down substantially. And then you started with this idea of being able to rent movies like Blockbuster and that kind of a thing that came from this. All of a sudden that made a change because if I have a machine that's capable of doing both a movie, watching it, getting it from somewhere and watching it, renting it, and then bringing it back, and one that I can record on, why do I want two devices? Why do I want to buy that, you know? Well, there's also something else. Um, they started making... Um... VHS recording cameras that regular people could purchase. So yes. you could do home movies. So this same format could be recorded on the VHS tape, then put into your VHS player and shown on TV. And families could see these these little, oh, here's Johnny's birthday, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, definitely much more home user-friendly kind of thing, you know, and mm -hmm. uh you could do a lot more with it. So that's what happened with that. There were two formats primarily of video disc, video disc and laser disc. A video disc was literally a record. It was a top-loading mechanism. You put it in. The laser disc looked like a giant, I don't know, square thing. And you hmm. put this whole plastic cartridge into the machine. It would take it apart internally and play the disc that was inside. So those came out. Good picture quality. But at the time, your average home had a 19-inch television. So the picture quality didn't matter that much either versus a videotape. You didn't really see the difference because you didn't have the equipment to do it. So that's where that came from. All right, next week we're going to talk about the what are called format wars. There's actually three of them that were competing at the time, VHS and Betamax and Video 2000 was the third one. <laughs> and that stuff was kind of what took the world next and, you know, ended up figuring out what ended up. VHS won, we know that. We'll talk about a little bit of why and how that happened in the future. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's got a really big computer. And he uses it, uses it every day. And he uses it, uses it in every way. What's he using for? You know I'm not that sure because he uses future Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments. We've got a great new website you to check out userfriendlyshow.com. The domain name is still the same. You go to the same place, but there's a lot of new information, including Tech Wednesday, our blog articles, and everything else. Plus, you can play past episodes going back to the beginning of time. Well, the last 10 years. That's the beginning of time for us. <laughs> sure. 
So speaking of Tech Wednesday, this week we were talking about tech layoffs. A lot of questions have come in about this, and there's a lot going on and a lot of very, very high numbers. So by August of last year, if you were a programmer or something like that and you were looking for a job, you would have one very, very quickly. There was no problem. In a lot of cases, they even waived the interviews to try to get people in. And it, an hour as a W-2 was not uncommon. So has that changed? Well, in doing some research now, even with all these layoffs, it isn't. If you're a good programmer, you might have a little more competition, but it's still very much possible to get a job. But the numbers are huge. So 2022 was about 150,000, a little bit over that. Big companies, Google and Intel and uh, Meta and Twitter, Twitter's Twitter, but you know all of those companies have announced huge layoffs. Microsoft joined in on that this year. And in January alone, we saw an additional 68,500 cuts. Yeah. So now the thing of it is about this kind of a thing is it's not all high technical positions. In fact, it seems to be more the other, I'm going to call it stuff, ancillary type positions that go along with tech, including things like marketing documentation. Um, the one area that they seem to be cutting a lot of is testing, which I think that's a little unfortunate. But it isn't just the programmer positions or only the programmer positions that are uh, being affected by this, but it does change things a little bit back to the way they used to be if you're looking for a job in the tech industry. And that's basically to have your resume thought out, be prepared for a technical interview. This is one of the parts of this process that I have never cared for is most jobs you go in, you have an interview and you either get hired or you don't. In a lot of cases, I won't say most anymore, but it used to be, I'd say maybe about half now, you go in for an interview and either at that interview or at a second follow-up, you're given a project that you're expected to work on to prove that you can program. Now, on a positive side, I can kind of see that you would want your programmer to know that they know what they're doing. Yeah. The other side of it is, is there was some problems where a lot of tech companies were holding interviews to get projects done that they didn't have to pay for. Oh, oh so, that's nice. Well, that's not cool. Yeah, well, we had somebody once who was um, getting his uh, work from India. Yeah, it was, yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> we ran into that. This is a past employee of, of our company, and uh, they were using code that was written elsewhere, or what really concerned me was copyrighted code. That was a mess to clean up. Yeah. It took me about six months, too. Fortunately, we didn't get sued on that one because I think it was because we self-reported. But the bottom line of it is, is you do have to be careful about these things because it's very easy. Like in a lot of trade type industries are like this, too, where someone can represent that they know what they are doing when, in fact, they don't. And the employer is not going to really know in a lot of cases unless they have the ability to be able to determine that. So that's where you have the tech interview where you sit down and actually do something, but you are writing code for free for the purpose of demonstrating that you can write code, and there are some nefarious people out there. So going forward in the tech industry, it's still a good place to be. You're still going to have a very easy time finding a job. It might not be quite as quick as it was six months ago, but definitely if you look on the main job hiring sites and everywhere else, they are looking for people. And one of the more unusual things is here on local radio, and television, I'm starting to notice that companies are buying commercials to recruit. Wow. Including <laughs> the technical industry. Wow. Come join our company. We have a great 401k and this, that, a 30 second commercial, which aren't cheap. No. No. You know, 
to uh, to get people. So there still is the need for employees. There is still the need for skilled people. That hasn't gone away. It's just things are changing a little bit. And it seems like even though there were all those layoffs, it hasn't been enough yet to create it where the industry has gone the other way, where it's an employer industry. So that's kind of what we're finding right now. We're going to keep an eye on this because things will, of course, continue to change. This is very dynamic. But right now, go out, apply. You're most likely going to find a job without a problem. Just be sure your resume is correct, do a cover letter, all the normal job hunting stuff. And if you use the online sites like Monster and Indeed, watch for the different things that they're asking for, go through. And then the other thing to just be sure is check to make sure that the offer is legitimate, especially if it comes from a third-party site, because there are bad guys out there that will put help wanted ads out to get your personal information on your resume. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our website, userfriendlyshow.com. It's just been redone. I think I mentioned that earlier in the show too, but it's still worth checking out. So if you haven't by now, do it as soon as we finish today. So if anybody hasn't seen the new episodes of The Bad Batch, uh, maybe close your ears for just a little bit here. It might be a little bit of a spoiler alert. But we're going to talk <laughs> about that a little bit. The new series has dropped on Disney and they've had a few more episodes come out and it is actually really, really good. My character Gunji appears. Uh-huh. And I can actually uh-huh. safely talk about that. He was in the trailer, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, so, so that makes it worthwhile. It's the first, you know, Star Wars that's been worthwhile, but yeah, you know, I'm in it. Uh, not, not. Okay. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I mean, Gunji um, was first showed up in the Clone Wars series. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who of you who don't know, he is a Wookiee and a Jedi. And uh, he's a youngling who became a Padawan. And so um, he's alive. He survived, which is really cool because the idea um, was that it was really rare that a Wookiee got to become a Jedi, that they were that they were force um, skilled. And so he was extra special. So (laughs) I was really happy. (laughs) And they did a really good job. It's not like the... um the Wookiees in Rebels, oh, which yeah. they only showed for one episode, then never went back to. It wasn't that the, the Wookiees were bad. The artwork, the was, artwork was, was awful. Really kind of um, I remember that. Yeah, they didn't yeah. know how to do fur. It was yeah, weird. Something. So, <laughs> yeah. The the they're using the Clone Wars templates, uh, or or body shapes, or art, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. But the art, it's from the Clone Wars. It's really, really good. Somebody out there really loves to do trees. Oh, yeah. And plants. And it looks so real. Yeah. It's not if, if you go into watching The Bad Batch and, and you like plants or architecture, you'll just love this. Because it, 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 whoever is doing those those pieces of artwork, they are so meticulous and they are so... Um, perfection driven it's beautiful it's gorgeous um they have uh, scenes like in one of the earlier episodes from the previous season of raxus oh raxus is just gorgeous the architecture is beautiful the plants just kind of like wow how that that's a really nice looking tree and bush kashik is really beautiful as Mm -hmm. well and that's what i've heard 
Yeah, <laughs> you should see the trees. <laughs> They're really, really big. <laughs> kind of like Pandora. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, so far we're, we're we've got six episodes down in the season. Uh, we're doing really well. The art is fabulous. The stories are good. Well, and one of the nice things is that they're showing uh, Omega. She is maturing. It isn't okay. that, you know, because some people had problems with the character Ray, which I can kind of understand, um, in that she just instantly knew how to be a Jedi just like that. While, like the character Luke, he had to go through training and all kinds of things. Well, we're seeing Omega slowly grow up mm -hmm. and learn how to be a member of the Bad Batch. And, and, and you know, she's not perfect. Uh, she's a kid, and sometimes she gets excited about things that she cares about and goes off and, and helps people, mm -hmm. uh, like Gunji. <laughs> it's not a spoiler, because it was uh, this episode aired four days ago. <laughs> Anyways, uh, it's kind of nice how they're developing the character. And it's not just her, but it's also the clones. Mm -hmm. The clones are learning what it's like to have a child around. Uh, right. what's involved in having a child around that you, you need to train them. You need to be patient with them. And these are things that they as clones would have never have really learned mm -hmm. because they didn't get a chance to be teenagers and, uh, go on dates and get married and have their own families. It, it was here. You're made to go to war. Goodbye. Go out and do that. You know? <laughs> so it, it, I, I like it. Yeah. It's been a really oh, good cool. series. That's cool. So, you know, looking at all this now, is Gunji going to be a reoccurring character or is he just a one-off again? I think he's just a one-off. I think so. Yeah. So everybody write to Disney and tell them they need to have him in more episodes. Um, or, or maybe some person will write an amazing novel set with him in it. I, I, would, I would go for that. Or maybe mm -hmm. we should just do a Gunji movie. It'd be the best Star Wars ever. Sure, we could do you that. Know, didn't you used to say those things to Peter when he was alive? <laughs> didn't he just <laughs> kind of like <laughs> my, my garrison has has told me that uh, if you want to stay friends and not be thought of as a dark side character in your real life, you never go up to anybody and say a few things. One of them is Ray is the best Jedi. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, it plays uh, into some of these others. No, but in all seriousness, it's it's cool that they're continuing that. I know they're talking about some of these other things going forward this year, so it'll be interesting to see what else they come up with and oh. what's going on with Star Wars. You know, Jeremy just showed me a picture. Um, there was a really cool racing episode of The Bad Batch. That one was neat. Um, okay. Yeah, actually, that one was pretty good, too. Yeah, there was a really surly, obnoxious... God, how would you describe that robot? The racing robot? Uh, I would call him narcissistic. Um, yeah. he's, he's, uh, <laughs> uh, he's obnoxious, self-centered, refers to himself in the first person, um, third person, but yeah, third, well, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't say his name or I, it's Teo, which yeah, is his yeah, character. Yeah. And it's like, um, yeah, he was kind of different, which was, it was, it was cool. cool. It was a, yeah. Not a droid we've seen before or a personality that's been in that show. And of course they're hinting that, um, that, um, Sid has a dark past. Well, she's a trans-ocean, so yeah. she probably does have a dark past. <laughs> probably. But yeah, we've got the clone, we've got the regular clones, we've got, you know, all the other clones and stuff, so. 
So what, do you have any other questions, Bill? Because I, I don't think you've been able to watch The Bad Batch as much as we have. Not as much as you have. I picked up the first two when they dropped, and I've seen mm-hmm. the last season. But uh, that's it. I haven't seen the new ones yet. The one thing I do know is that it is another series that supports uh, Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. So that makes it good just anyway. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's well, a lot it, of fun. It, well, you remember the first time you saw that over here with the lightning and stuff? Yeah, it really does add to the experience. It just it does, does cool. you know. Yeah, and, nothing uh, like cool tech to add to your uh, wonderful cartoon. <laughs> absolutely, but it really does bring life to it. So we'll have to see what the rest of the series checks out to be, and if it's as good as the first few episodes, I'm really looking forward to it. This is user friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. Check all of this stuff out and check out our new website, userfriendlyshow.com. All of our social media is there. You can post feedback, ask your questions, everything. We look forward very much to hearing from you. We are also in pre-production of a user-friendly television series. It's going to be a short four-episode run coming in April. We'll keep you up to date on that. And speaking of television shows, I know there's another series that you guys have been watching. I know it is the Ghost series. I don't even know what the title is. <laughs> uh, so perhaps you can enlighten me on that a little okay. bit. Okay. It's called Lockwood & Co. It's based on a book series, uh, five books. Uh, they've produced the first season, which is eight episodes, based on two of the books. And it's about teenage ghost hunters. But there's a little okay. bit more to the ghost hunters. It's not like the ghost hunters, like... The guys, you know, on TV that have all the equipment and are oh so serious and, you know, are trying to detect whether ghosts exist. These people already have a situation where they know that ghosts exist and they're a threat. Right. I mean, uh, a serious threat. So uh, this is how euphemistic this whole thing is. It's very British. Oh, yes. It's it's, there is the problem. Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's what they've called it. (laughs) <laughs> We're talking about millions of unexplained, unexpected deaths. Millions of people that. have died. They just they just die. And this, uh, according to all the information I've read, it started in 1973. People just died and they figured out, oh, sh- there's ghosts now. Great. Uh, and unfortunately, only the teenagers and little children can see and feel the ghosts. So in okay. your 20s, you no longer can, can you have no idea they're there. You, it's kind of like, almost, almost like the Admiral Thrawn's, um, the Chiss and their, their force sensitivity girls. Yeah, yeah. And then once they hit a certain age, they no longer have it. Yeah. Well, that's the way it is with, with the teenagers. It lasts for a while and then it goes away. So the series is based on Lockwood and, and his uh, two associates. They're teenagers. They're... You're only ones in the company. There's no adult supervision at all. Yeah. And they're trying to make a name for themselves and run their business and stop ghosts. And you know what's really freaky is I was sitting there listening to it. I'm going, God, that sounds like Bella Lugosi's dead. Bauhaus. Nobody uses that. That's really cool. That really sounds like it. And it turns out they use a lot of really uh, unique um 80s music 80s, 80, like there's Bauhaus in there I the think cure. there was cure yeah, yeah there's, there's there's music of you that's kind of like 
Hey, I know that song. So if you like really cool, like underground 80s type music, the, yeah, you good, gotta watch it. Good special so effects. Where do, you, where do you stream it? This is on Netflix. Okay, this is a Netflix show. Yes. Okay, well, I don't know if it's unfortunately, but uh, right now it's still <laughs> fine. Uh, well, you know, we we'll, may not get to see <laughs> the second season. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. An entirely different thing. All right, well, there you are. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.